Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, September 30th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 19, verses 13 through 29. The word of the Lord that gives divine wisdom must be heard and heeded not only once, but constantly throughout this life, lest we stray into the way of folly. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you today and all those who are listening along with us as we journey through a section of Proverbs today. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Bars, let's talk just about the book of Proverbs in general, wisdom, literature, the question of context really isn't the same in, in this section. Things maybe seem a bit more random, but there is a, an overarching context that we need to know. What will help us as we think about this section today? Well, wisdom is used as a category for a section of scripture from Job through the Song of Solomon, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs, and I'm sure many of your listeners have, if they're following along with Proverbs, they're, they're aware of that. So this is in the, the middle of those, of those four books. Uh, it's attributed sometimes completely to Solomon, although that's not accurate. There are large portions that are given to Solomon. In fact, King tells us that he had written 3,000 Proverbs, so, so we know that was part of his gift of wisdom, uh, but other writers as well. But the whole sense of what wisdom is, not simply uh, knowledge, not sim- certainly not smarts, but, but wisdom or insight. And, and, and I'd like to suggest this, that, and this is from some reading that comes from, oh, a few years back, even in my seminary days, from one of my professors there, who expressed that wisdom is the science of antiquity, meaning that it's how it's observed that things are and operate. Now, now that's at, at a couple of different levels. It's, it's in the sense of natural law, that there is order and structure. And of course, we say, yes, because that was God's design and that was, that was God's creation. But, but I'm saying that even a non-Christian in in looking at how things are, could see that there is wisdom in this. So it's the science of antiquity was the phrase that he used. But on a more subjective level, it's also that here I am, here I am living my life with the awareness of these external but universal norms, and how is my life to be ordered? How should my behavior be? What what should I be like because of this in my in my personal relationships and my behavior? Now, we could say again that even a, a non-Christian or a non-believer could say, well, I want to be wise then. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be a law unto myself. 
But what we're going to discover and what scripture as a whole reveals is that God is the source of wisdom. In fact, God is the most wise because while wisdom is, is this rule or, or the, the norm of, of the way things are, it is also this ability to, to cope, to have specific skills. And, and this shouldn't sound as though it, it slights the great and eternal God, but he alone is equal to the task of being God. And, and that's, that's why Paul would, would include in one of those, one of those uh, wonderful doxologies that show up in some of his letters, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Yeah, I, I mean, as, you, as you're talking about God and the and His wisdom, the the words of the hymn started to come into my mind. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, which I think is is based on another doxology of Paul's. I believe that's in First Timothy chapter one, where where he's he's talking about you know, and and there the and I don't want to jump the gun too far, but the the wisdom of God there, I believe, is is after he says, you know, "Chief of sinners though I be," well, now I'm quoting another hymn. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus shed His blood for me. That that there, I mean, you know, the wisdom of God. He he only is wise. He's he has this this unique wisdom, and as as you said, and I think rightly so, that only he is capable of being God. And that's the the beauty of the first commandment is that anytime we try to be God, we just don't do a good job at it. <laughs> we're we're no good at being God. And and wisdom on our part is to recognize that. He has the wisdom to be God and to let him be God. And then when he's God and we're not, well, that wisdom then does start to order our lives. As you said earlier, that that's what this, this science of antiquity is doing is it's giving us that, that norm, that order for our, you know, just day-to-day lives. Isn't it interesting, too, that, that in, the, in their innocence, Adam and Eve in the garden, who, who knew only that, that, that God is good and holy and, and yet separate from them, but how that, that wisdom, how, how Satan the tempter, the deceiver comes and, and tempts them to doubt the wisdom of God. Did God really say, mm. and, and, then, and then you will not surely die, that, that wisdom is called into question, that God doesn't really have a have a perfect design for them and a, and a perfect role for them. And, and so how is it that, that we too are, are fools, are, are foolish in our denying who God is, how God is at work, uh, not simply in ordering my daily life, Pastor Apple, but, in, mm-hmm. but in, in giving me all of his gifts, especially the gift of life, of new life, of never-ending life, in Christ, who is the wisdom of God, as Paul writes to the Colossians. And and that would be the difference between the wisdom that's given in the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that's given, say, I mean, as you said, 
non-Christians can come to this sort of wisdom occasionally in, in, in the ordering of day-to-day life, but that wisdom, and to use the phrase that Solomon likes to use here in the book of Proverbs, is the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts, and that's what makes the book of Proverbs distinct and higher than any of that non-Christian wisdom that, that often will bear some similarities to what we do read here. So I, I'm reminded of, and I, and I can't turn to the exact page, of, of C.S. Lewis talking about truth with a capital T and truth with a small t, mm. and, and, and how he, he wants us to, he helps us to understand that, that God's revelation is truth with a capital T. And I think that's the difference here, too. It's wisdom with a small w, it's right. wisdom with a capital, with a capital w. And, and the fear of the Lord and and it is there it is it is all over the proverbs from the get go in chapter 1 the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction and then again in chapter 2 for the lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Those are wonderful words and rich words. I would caution, as we consider this, as you and I talk together, as, as others, our brothers and sisters are listening, though, that it, it could be turned that the fear of the Lord is something I have to attain I have to figure it out or earn it or or achieve it, and, and then I'll have wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. No, the Lord in his wisdom is the one who brings us to this fear of the Lord, this honor, this respect, this awe, this life of faith, which is finally, ultimately centered in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's the difference between an if-then formula. If I do this, if, if I figure out how to fear the Lord, then I will be wise and I'll impress God and others. But it's not. It's because, therefore, God is the one who acts and we are the one who receive. He acts, he acts in his wisdom to bring us to know him and that we would attain and rejoice and live in this appropriately stated the fear of the Lord. Mm, right. The the fear of the Lord is a gift. It's it's something that God gives. We've had other other guests who've re- equated the fear of the Lord with with faith. That that this is the the proper standing before God. To go back to the way you put it earlier, to recognize that God is God. He's good at being God. I'm not God, and I'm no good at being God. And to live in that recognition, which is is not, again, it's not something that, that you or I accomplish, but it is something that God gives to us, at, in in which then he brings us into the wisdom that is here in the book of Proverbs. Any more introductory comments before we jump into the text? Well, let me just make a few more simple statements. And I've borrowed some of these. I'm sure some of our listeners, many of our listeners have a, have a Lutheran study Bible. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a few of these and taking these from some of the comments in there, but simply Wisdom is God's attribute. Wisdom is God's gift to his people. Then it becomes an attribute of God's people. So his attribute is given, is given to us. And, and that these, these proverbs are, are more than practical advice on some kind of 
morals, morality, way to get along with each other and not have quarrels or, or not to be some known as a fool, but they illustrate the faith and the life of those who are made righteous through faith in the Lord, the giver of wisdom. Let's see that wisdom then. In Proverbs chapter 19, beginning at verse 13, we'll read part of the text on this side of the break and then pick up the rest on the other. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, but if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. We'll pause there. That was through verse 20. So verse 13, 1913 says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. I think that phrase, dripping of rain, is one that might ring ring in the ears of, of some of our, our listeners. And Pastor Bars, you're, you're telling me, you left me in a bit of suspense before we got on air, that there's an Arab proverb that's similar to this one? Well, I'm going to set it up in this way. First of all, we, we read when, we, when we read the history of Solomon, we read that he had seven hundred wives who were princesses and 30 concubines. That's in First Kings chapter 11. And then it adds this important statement, and his wives turned away his heart. And we read what, what he allowed and, and how he turned away in, in the worship of the true God. But if he had that many wives and concubines, how many sons did he have? <laughs> and we can, we can read later on in, in the book of Kings as well what happened following Solomon's death after after David's death and so on. But a foolish son, how he, he speaks a truism. He he speaks what is true to any set of parents, to any father particularly, that a foolish son and a wife's quarreling. Now now I, I want to be a little circumspect here and not say that it's necessarily a quarreling with with the husband. Maybe she just has a quarrelsome nature and is known in the community in that way. I, I can't help but smile to think that with the 700 wives and 300 concubines, I'm guessing there was quarreling going on there. And then he says, it is a continual dripping of rain. So, so here's this Arab proverb. It says, and, and I'm going to use uh, abbreviated words uh, from, the, from the Arabic, which I really don't know, but I've got them in front of me. But it says, three things make a house intolerable. Talk, the leaking through of rain, knock, a wife's nagging, and bach, bugs. So there's a little bit of um, poetry going on. T-A-K, N-A-K, B-A-K, talk, knock, bach. Three things that would make a house intolerable. Now, did Solomon know that? Did, did, did his proverb come first? And later on, there's some Arab proverb that, that gets written down and, and shared uh, over the years in other, in other literature. I, I don't know, and I'm not going to try to answer. I'm not going to try to answer that. The, the second verse, if I may continue, of our section, 
this has one of those wonderful contrasts, which, which many of the Proverbs do. Sometimes they are echoes, aren't they? The first phrase, the, the Hebrew parallelism, it, it echoes itself. But in verse 14, we have one of those contrasts, and I think it's a very appropriate after we've just heard a verse about a wife's quarreling, we hear house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, back in chapter 18, just a few verses, a few verses before this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But here there's here the contrast tells us something different even about this gift. Health, house, excuse me, house and wealth are inherited. These are given by right. They are expected, not only in that culture, but, but even in our culture, that parents and generationally give inheritance to their children. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. It, it's a gift. It, it's God giving a gift. Who He who finds a wife, in, in verse 22, finds a good thing. But here, a prudent wife is a gift from the Lord. What, what a blessing. And, and let's, let's invert it and say, what a blessing for a wife to say that a husband, a, a faithful husband, is a gift from the Lord as well. Right. The, the gift of, of family, I think, is, is at center in both of these verses, 13 and 14. Both of them tend to be more observational in nature. You know, there's, there's lots of different proverbs. Some are, are very direct in saying, do this or don't do this. This mm-hmm. one tends to be more observational that, you know, it's generally true that a foolish son is a ruin to his father, which I think it, you, know, you could almost connect that with the first half of 14 that, I mean, when, when house and wealth are inherited by a foolish son, well, that, I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the, the ruin that, that belongs in that situation. And, and similarly, you know, you've, the second half of both these verses speak of the husband-wife relationship. But they're, they're observational. The, uh, the foolish son is a ruin to his father. Well, that, yeah, that's true, Solomon. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping away. That, that's true. With these observations that Solomon gives, what's, what's the action? We were talking about the, the norming function of Proverbs, that, that they put us in the, the way that God has designed it. What, what are these observations from Solomon? How do they norm our lives as, you know, maybe a man who, or a husband and wife who are already married, or a man and a woman who may be looking for marriage, or fathers to sons? How do, how do these Proverbs as observations then serve to norm our lives? Well, I'll go back, I'll go back to, to the way I, I tried to set them up and, and to explain them, that these are, these are the way that, that God is revealing, first of all, his, obviously, and most of all, his own wisdom. What is, what is his design? And, and in the, in the, in the brokenness of the, of the world, in the Genesis 3 world in which we live, not all that God has designed and intended to be perfect is so. There are, there are thorns and thistles now. And, and it is not as, as God fully intended. This side of the full re- recreation, redemption and, and resurrection. And yet to say, what, what a blessing. And to see that, and I'll, and I'll make it broadly, to see family as blessing and gift and gift from God, to receive them, to receive them as blessing, to be thankful for those that we are given to love and those 
who share God's love with us. Those who are, who are closest to us, who, who know us better than anyone else knows us, a husband and a wife, that's certainly true, but parents and children as well. And, and yet, and yet are gifts of God's love to us. What, what a, what a blessing that is. A blessing for me, a blessing for you. I know, mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Yes, most most certainly, and and to recognize then that you know just as an example, the end of verse thirteen that the wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain, doesn't mean then to forsake that or something like that, but to to recognize how how wonderful a gift the prudent wife is to cherish that and to I guess to you know when it comes to marriage particularly to to work on that to nurture that relationship of of love. And honor and respect between husband and wife, lest lest these sort of realities start to happen. Looking at the rest of the text, Pastor Bars, considering family, verse eighteen also speaks toward family. Here, fathers and sons, more discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, discipline has been a theme within the book of Proverbs elsewhere. There's a a rather famous well, the the way it's often phrased is spare the rod and spoil the child, which is not exactly the way Solomon puts it. I believe that's back in chapter 13. But but the idea is that to withhold discipline when needed is actually to harm your child. Here we get a similar theme. Yes, and and discipline, discipline, it's the same word that, uh, at least in our English word, it's the same word from which disciple, hmm. from which disciple comes, which is to be this 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 follower, to train one, to train one to be a follower. Discipline for there is hope. Is it the foolish son again? But but discipline the son. Do not see his only his destruction or his death, but but hope and pray that that he will inherit from you not house and wealth, but inherit wisdom from you. What what a prayer! What prayers do we make as as parents uh, for those who are given given that vocation? Not every not every hearer is a parent. Uh, those who are listening to us, but everyone who hears us is a child and a child of someone and has been. And and so, how has God used that discipline, that that care, to to nurture to nurture faith, not not to hope that we turn out to be upright citizens or good workers or something. But, but what, what gift that he, that God would give to us through our families and through our parents. I, I'm, I'm going to have to ask, I, I, I do want to skip back if I may. I Go know you it. connected these verses and I'm glad, and I'm glad you did. But, but there's this interesting phrase in verse 15 about slothfulness and it casts into a deep sleep and so uh, you'll be hungry because you're just not doing anything. But that same phrase for deep sleep, that same word, that same is used to describe the sleep that God put Adam into when he took the rib and formed Eve. Now, is that just coincidence that this is in the middle of this section where we're talking about marriage and family. Mm. It's also the language that Abraham is put into a deep sleep when God cuts the covenant with him in chapter 15 of Exodus. And it's used to describe his people in Isaiah 29, the deep sleep that 
that God will deliver them from because of because of because of unfaithfulness. So so it it's a sense here that that slothfulness is is an anti-God activity. It, it's not simply lazy laziness because again because of covenant because of creation because of God doing His work waking us from a deep sleep and, and then we could go on from there and. And you know the sleep of death and the final resurrection. And our Lord, our Lord, who says, "I must go to Jerusalem and and must be betrayed, but on the and and be crucified, but on the third day I must be raised from the sleep of the grave." So, so there's there's just a little treasure hidden in there in that phrase, I believe. Yeah, no, definitely. That that's a that's an excellent observation. Wait, we're coming up on a break here in, in just a couple minutes. Let's let's take a look at verse sixteen since we're right there. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. One of the things that that stands out to me is that it says whoever keeps the commandment, it's a singular commandment rather than commandments. And, And of course, then the contrast in the first part is this is the way of life. The second, this is the way of death. We got a couple minutes before the break to take a look at this verse. Interesting that that it is. I, I think it's one thing you could read right past this or hear right past this. So often when we hear commandments, we put the S on the end. But but you're absolutely right. And the question would be: is is it is it a singular commandment of God? Is it the instruction of the teacher who who is helping this person, any of us, any? follower of Christ in the in the whole biblical picture, but every one of God's covenant people to to learn what it means to live in wisdom. Commandment is life. Now that that allows us, even compels us to consider the whole law gospel dynamic, which we as Lutheran Christians treasure and and rightfully should treasure. The commandment is life. Well, is it something I have to do that gives me life? No. How does God's word reveal the one who finally will say, ultimately will say, I am the way and the truth and the life, who will promise in, to Mary and Martha at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who, who as John writes at the close of his gospel, and these things are written that by believing, you may believe that Christ Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In in the fuller picture of Scripture, that the commandment is certainly, I would want it to be, God's full teaching and his whole, full revelation. In this immediate context, very likely the the one who teaches, who teaches wisdom, who teaches his his son or his children or his family or the community to know the wisdom of God, to know the ways of God. God's gift, God's blessing still. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. Going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 30th. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 19, verses 13 through 29. We've got Pastor Mark Bars with us. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Just a reminder that if we miss the proverb you really wanted to know more about, or if you want to hear more explanation on something, call the listener comment line, 314-996-1542, or leave a message at kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know what you want to hear more about, and I'll be recording some bonus podcast material short segments on those Proverbs that you sent in so that you can have your faith in Christ made sharp. Pastor Bar, as we left off, we were talking about verse 16. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. And we really looked at the first half, but there's also a second half. He who despises his ways will die, which is, I mean, sounds very negative. And yet I think you were explaining to me there's there's a connection to Christ there. Well, he who despises his ways, the ways that he is being taught, will will die. I mean, how can we how can we ignore the strong language, the the physical death, the spiritual death, the eternal death that is that is throughout Scripture? I mentioned Genesis three in our introductory. You you will not surely die. Well, Adam and Eve didn't fall over in the garden with heart attacks, but but their relationship with God died, and yet. And yet that promise and the, and the gift and the gift that we rejoice to, we rejoice to, to cling to and, and hold by faith and, and hear, hear in his word. But here's something in, in that word despise, which, which could mean it was careless with his ways, but it is the same word that we hear in Isaiah 53 in that rich, rich chapter. It's, it's one of the chapters that you probably turn to as well when, when somebody says, and, and, and sometimes they just, they don't mean it in a negative, bad way. They just say, well, the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is gospel. And you say, well, slow down, slow down. Let's, let's see, let's see the gospel. And Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. The Hebrew batah is the same word that's used of our Lord, that he would be despised and rejected for us to win our salvation. There, that's. I just wanted to share that. I wanted our hearers to to capture that or hear that as well. Hmm. So I think we're going to pick up at 21. Are you going to read for a little while first? Yes, yes, I will. And just, I mean, just briefly on that on that comment about the word despises then, what, what happens in, in putting those texts together, Proverbs 19 and Isaiah 53, is you, you see the great reversal that really happens in the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, Proverbs 19, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Who's the one who's kept the commandment? It's Jesus. And, and who should have kept his life. But for our sakes, he allows himself to be despised by the people who despised his Jesus way so that 
they would not die but live and he took that death in his in our in our place i mean just the the putting those two together really highlights the great reversal of the gospel that the punishment that my sins deserved all went on jesus and the salvation that his life deserved was freely given to me in him. It's just a beautiful thing to see. I, just, I mean, oh, well said. Thank you for summarizing that. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those places where, you know, we know that all scripture points to Christ, but when we're in the book of Proverbs, sometimes it's, he's harder to see, but there's one of those places where, where he most certainly is, is there for us. So with that, we will read the rest of this chapter, Proverbs 19, verses 21 through the end. Many, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. That's the end of our text for today. That's Proverbs 19, verses 21 through 29. So we'll pick it up at verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We've seen this thought in the book of Proverbs before. What is Solomon saying here, Pastor Bars? There are so many times when I've heard people say about what are God's plans for you or for my life? What are his plans for my life? The best part of this verse is to note that plans is plural and purpose is singular. Mm. The plans in the mind of a man, of any of us, what I think, not only, even in the best way, even what I think I should be doing with the life and the gifts that God has given to me, but, but in, in, a, in a much more uh, skewed way, when, when someone says, what are God's plans for me? As though he's hiding the blueprint somewhere and I need to find it so I can figure out what I'm supposed to do. And then if I, something goes wrong in my life, then I say, well, God's, I, I messed, messed up God's plan or maybe I wasn't following God's plan and he didn't want me to be doing this. So I should do that. It's, it's so much a part of our modern Western church. I, I, at least uh, I think it is. I hear it. I hear it way too often. The contrast is the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand that God works and acts with purpose. He has a purpose for me. He has a purpose for you. In, in the largest sense, what is his purpose? That all should believe and come to a knowledge of the truth, that, that, we would, that he would embrace us as his sons and his daughters, that he would include us in his family, that he, is, that he would not be ashamed to be our God, the writer, the writer to the Hebrews. That's, that's his great salvation 
purpose in in calling us and sending his own son, the father sending his son into this into this world. And that means, at least I'm convinced that it means that I don't need to be so worried about the plans, my own designs, my own ideas, my own imaginings that I must be doing this or I should be doing this. Rather, I can say, God said on November 6th, 1955, he said, Mark David, you are my child. With you, I am well pleased. And, and here you are. Here you are in this family. And, and I'm going to use you in some way. When I was in high school, I changed my mind at least four times which direction I thought I was going to go because I suspect I didn't necessarily use the language but I was trying to figure out what God's plans were for me and and to end up going to college and exploring the pre-seminary program. I went in it very tentatively. Not everybody knows that, but some do. I went very tentatively and saying, maybe God can use me. Well, he did. He chose to, but he could have used me if I would have if I would have decided to be a, a sports writer or I was going to be a doctor at one time. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Pastor Apple, because I thought MD bars MD had such a nice ring to it <laughs> that it would look it would look really good on the door. Um, but his purpose, his purpose that we would know and be loved and and be brought into his family to be those sons and daughters who who run away to the distant country and he goes down the road to meet us and to embrace us. The purpose of the Lord stands and it will for all of eternity that he works salvation for us and calls us his own family. I think that that is an important corrective for our, and I I, am, I really only know the American church all that well, for, for American Christianity to keep that in mind, because it is very easy to get bogged down in what the plans are. What college should I attend? What career should I pursue? Even, I mean, who should I marry? And it's not that these are unimportant decisions, but but within that purpose that God gives, that, that purpose to save us, there is great freedom in, in what he reveals. Uh, you know, even, I mean, so, and, and I think the key is to, is to avoid what is, is referred to in our Lutheran confessions as enthusiasm. And enthusiasm in this sense would be to look for the will of God or to look for him to reveal something to us apart from his word. And when we, when we run into enthusiasm, when that's the way that we go and we try to figure out plans apart from his word, we do run into all that kind of confusion and, and end up in places that often lead to doubt and despair which is not where the Lord would have us go. Rather, when I think about what what should I do with my life? Well, I mean, the book of Proverbs is not a bad place to start, honestly. It, it gives a lot of wisdom for practical living. The Ten Commandments are a great place to start. But within those commandments, there is a lot of freedom. There's any number of careers I might pursue through that that fall in line with all Ten Commandments. And, and so to keep to keep in mind the purpose that God has, I, I think of First Timothy two chapter four, where where God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That 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 is what God wants. Or think of the 
the third petition of the Lord's Prayer in the Catechism. What what is God's will, and and how does He do it? Well, I mean, it's it's very it's very broad, isn't it? The way Luther explains it that that it's God's will is done when He breaks and hinders the plans and purposes of the devil who don't end the world and our sinful nature that don't want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when God keeps us in it, in his word and faith until we die, that's what God's will is. And he's going to do that. And then within that purpose, there is such great freedom in the plans such that we can put our trust in the Lord who has that purpose in mind. And he's got it taken care of so that as we go about our plans, there's, there's freedom and there's not worry but there is the ability then to go and do them as the Lord has given. So, so the first word, okay, A is the first word in our section, a foolish son. But the very last word in the section that, that we're discussing today and studying today is fools. And I, I can't help but think of the parable of, I'm going to call it the foolish farmer. He, mm. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 this man, his land, his crops are good. It, it must, he must have been somewhere where there's lots of black dirt and his, his wheat produced so many bushels. But he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The fool is is not rich toward God. And again, to take it back to this verse, the purpose of the Lord will stand that he has he has acted to bring us to himself. What I'm going to move to verse 22 because I think it works very well. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Well, steadfast love is is a word that you can't see my hands moving. It's horizontal <laughs> and it's vertical, but but it's just as we hear those wonderful, simple but powerful words in the, the letter of John: "We love because He first loved us." So God is the one who is a faithful, faithful in his love. Chesed is all over scripture. I love Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And the whole Psalm, right? Every half verse, his steadfast love endures forever. It is, it is his faithfulness. It is his mercy. It is his covenant loyalty that he will be faithful to the promises he has made and they will come to be true ultimately fulfilled in in the giving of christ conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate who died who rose for our salvation and a poor man is better than a liar now again on the human level yes that we live in faithfulness in steadfast love toward each other but to be poor, even though in our culture it, it is it is perhaps one of the things that we say, what's wrong with him? Why is he? Is it does it fit with the sluggard and the slothful person? No, to be to be poor is well. How does Jesus turn it around in the Beatitudes? He uses the expression the 
the poor in spirit, but, but the meek and those who are hungry and thirsty, and yes, the persecuted, but blessed are they. Blessed are they because they have chesed, steadfast love from the Father who showed it to them, who proved it to them, to you and to me in his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, th- I, I really like the connection that you're making with Jesus here in this verse. And I think, I mean, I think this verse does point us to Jesus yet again. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. Who, what, what man showed true steadfast love? That is, that is Jesus. And, and, well, what did that steadfast love get him in his earthly life? Well, I mean, to go back to, to what we were talking about earlier in verse 16, the idea of despised, you know, I mean, this second half of verse 22, a poor man is better than a liar. Sounds an awful lot like, you know, Isaiah 50, and not not the exact same Hebrew words again, but the same images that, you know, Jesus had no form or beauty that that we should look at him. He he was the one that we we hid our faces from him. We esteemed him not as a poor man. And yet, this poor man, the one who who hangs on a cross for you and for me, oh, he is he is far better than a liar, and he is to be desired above all else because of his steadfast love. And yet we continue and see good news again. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The God of of wisdom who brings us to know him in fear, a a rich word in scripture. I know it it can be distorted and and I can distort it myself in my own, in my own emotions, in my own, in my own makeup and say, but, but I, I don't want to be afraid of God. No, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied, rest to such a rich word in Scripture, mm-hmm. from God resting at the close of creation to, to the writer to the Hebrews telling us of, of the Sabbath rest of the people of God and will not be visited by harm. Verse 24 speaks about a sluggard, uh, the 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 word the word there and the expression it is echoed a couple of chapters later maybe a little bit more it's in, also in chapter 26 a very similar phrase that 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 when he eats he, it, it, it he can't even bring the food back to his back to his mouth and and he's endangering his own well-being he's not just lazy it is that but but he's endangering his own existence. Jesus uses the same word of the same expression. It's translated into a Greek word in, in the Greek old, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. But when Jesus says, you wicked and slothful servant, when the master in Matthew 25 uh, criticizes the one, uh, really condemns the one who, who took the treasure and and didn't use the treasure that that he was given. What a what a condemning and and strong language to us. You know, this is one of those times, Pastor Apple, that I think we we can talk about as we do again as Lutheran Christians, the first, second, and third use of the law. I mean, this this is is second use that I see the mirror and I see if if I would Again, not just be lazy and 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 a, and a glutton, but I can't even eat anymore. But 
but the treasure, uh, the treasure of of the gospel that that God is the one who says to me, taste and see that I am good. The one who who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, who who in his supper, Sunday after Sunday, says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here, here is the forgiveness of sin in the body and the blood of Christ given and shed for you. I, I've, I've gone a long way from, from, from the sluggard there to, to bring some other images and, and some other some good news, but, but there is. Uh, we can hear this as law. We should hear this as law. And, and the law always directs us and must direct us to uh, the good news that is ours in Christ. Mm, always, always. We've got about seven minutes, Vester Bars, and, and so I want to make sure we have a little bit of time at the end to connect this section to Christ as wisdom. Let's let's move forward to verse 28, because I know you got a few comments on that. Let's take a look at that verse, and then we'll talk conclude with the idea of Christ and, and how this section points us to him. So verse 28. So a worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. And these are some of the strongest words in this about how how our world is, how how we see it, how we we live and and are burdened in in this fallen in this fallen world. Uh, and there are there are evidences of that. All around us in our country right now of, of the perversion of, of justice or the or the mocking or the mocking at justice, but this worthless phrase is is um, well. I'm going to borrow some some words from uh, from a, a writer uh, by by the name of Chad Bird. Some of some of the hearers will will know this is going to be. In, in a book that he is working on that he, he shared with me. It's short devotions on words and phrases that uh, are from the Old Testament. The book is called, or will be called, Unveiling Mercy. Uh, it's the same word. It's beliyal. It's a kind of a long, extended word. But it's used to talk about the sons of Eli. Eli... Uh, the priest and Samuel and that and that whole story, but they were worthless men. It's the same word as is in verse 28. They did not know the Lord, and and we can look around us, and we do, and and we are harsh in doing so. We look at at people around us, and we we don't say it publicly, but but we consider them we consider them worthless, and and so it it becomes it becomes a, a, another phrase in in some of it, it becomes the sons of Belial mm. um, and so they're they're called that um, Hannah earlier in the story in in first Samuel this is a one of those remarkable stories Hannah who's praying her lips are moving she's not saying anything and Eli thinks she's been drinking and and he actually calls her so she says back no I'm not drunk don't regard your servant as a bot Belial now now it's the feminine, the a, a daughter, but this slothful, excuse me, this worthless person, this this wicked man. That's in Proverbs as well. Um, it, that it actually becomes a proper name. Uh, that seems to be kind of lost as to how how that originates. 
But Paul will use that language. He will use that language when he writes in the Corinthians to those who are trying to worship uh, two gods the, 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 at the pagan altars and, at, and at, the, at, the, at the true altar of Christ's sacrifice and says, what accord has Christ with Belial in Second Corinthians chapter 6? But, but who are we? Who are we? We are not worthless. We are those given worth, those given wisdom and the fear of the Lord. But we are sons and daughters of the living God. God is not ashamed to be our God. And our Lord Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. The ones who were worthless in our lostness have been given great worth through the sacrifice, through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and are given life and promise and hope and joy and peace, all of his gifts now and for eternity. And that might, that, I think that's a wonderful segue then into a concluding thought and concerning the, the wisdom that is ours in Christ. Paul brings that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Pastor Bars, with about two minutes, wrap things up for us this morning. I'll be happy to. Well, the first thing I want to say is that yesterday was the day of St. Michael and all angels. And, and it's, it's, there's, there's another illustration of wisdom, how God in his design had is created uh, these servants, uh, servants that honor him, but but servants to his people as well. If I kind of sneak that one in, but but here is the truth: we are fools, uh, we are we are ignorant, and, and only God can make us wise. On Holy Cross Day, just a couple of weeks ago as well, we heard the reading from First Corinthians chapter one: Has not God made foolish, the wisdom of the world. And then he says, to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is the answer, the answer of God to the questions, how is my sin dealt with, my foolishness, my sloth about the will and the ways of God, my disobedience to my parents, my failure to keep his commands, my anger, the violence that I even hold in my heart, the pride of my own knowledge, whatever trust I have in my own plans. But the Father, through his Son, makes us wise for salvation. Paul's words to Timothy, second chapter of Timothy, second Timothy, the third chapter. He makes us wise. He gives us the gift. He calls us his own, and this is the wisdom of God, the great wisdom of God, that we would be known, be given worth, be given love, and be redeemed in Christ our Lord. Pastor Mark Bars is the pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 19, verses 13 through 29. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. I'm glad I could be with you. Christ is our wisdom, and in Christ, God makes us wise for salvation. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.